0: So all every single death of, of SARS-CoV-2 was preventable. And it was known 20 years ago, and it's known in immunology, that vitamin D is one of the things that keep people healthy. And the doctors a of protocol that was done in February and March um, was known to be entirely effective and safe, including in the elderly. He's, he did an, a study and treated 799 elderly people in New York not one person in hospital, and the treatment was around $4 for the entire treatment.
1: Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone. It's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to The Vibe Show. And I finally, finally have Dr. Dolores Cahill I would love to share with you her uh, bio, but it is some seriously sciencey sounding words, and I think I'm fairly science-well-versed. Uh, but she's, she's a professor in, in Ireland, and she is worldwide recognized for proteomics technology, development and automation, high-content protein arrays, and their biomedical applications, including biomarker discovery and diagnostics. She's she's uh, been a researcher at the Max Planck Institute. That one you may be more familiar with, of molecular genetics in Berlin, Germany. And she she owns she owns a bunch of international patents. I heard that you sold a biomedical company, Dr. Cahill. Is that true?
0: Yes, I founded co-founded it in 1997 and sold it on to another company with the others in 2019.
1: Okay, so more than two decades of your life. And so would you would you like to classify yourself as heretofore up until this COVID thing um, entirely pro-vaccine?
0: Um, I suppose for all medications, uh, uh, I would be advocating for safe medicine. So all my life, uh, if the harm outweighs the benefit, I would say it doesn't matter whether it's a drug or an injection or a vaccine, uh, you have to do a harm benefit analysis. So, asking that kind of question is not really appropriate, right? It, you know, it would be like saying if um, a car had a fault in it and crashed and killed, you know, uh, one in 50 people just with normal use. And then someone asks you, are you pro or anti car, right? You're pro safe cars. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I agree. In fact, I've used that exact same metaphor, actually. We we on this show, we, I haven't pre- pretended to be anything other than what I am, which is a vaccine-injured person and a vaccine-injured... I have a vaccine-injured child who in and out of hospitals for years after the MMR vaccine. And I wasn't really connecting the dots with the first one. So he got severe asthma and started to be hospitalized. And then I got him another one got him another one. And, and so luckily my youngest two children are the beneficiaries of my having injured the first two. It took, took me a while. I was a slow learner, but so we've been talking about these issues and we've interviewed everybody from Bobby Kennedy to, to Judy Mike And we've been looking for you. We've been hoping that <laughs> you would show up. And so I went on my telegram group, couldn't go on Facebook. Cause like I said, before we got started, I'm in Facebook jail, but I asked my telegram audience. Okay. You guys have been seeing Dr. Dolores Cahill out there um, what questions do you have for her? And I'll just review them and you can, you can maybe, maybe the best thing to do is to start with just the Cliffs notes of how you got here and how you were willing to, um, start speaking up. It takes a lot of courage, especially people from the science community. My theory is, as I go through all of them from Dr. Bhakti to Dr. Mike Eden to, you know, they tend to be people who, have been extremely successful and probably don't need to work ever again and or they are retired. And so I think we're seeing like the the brain trust willing to speak up tend to be the retirees. And I don't know if that applies to you, but I'm just gonna give you an overview of what my audience wants to know from you. Yeah, sure. They wanna know, I know that you feel like there's another pandemic coming. I'd love to talk about that. They want to know about PCR testing or I don't know if you coined the term test gate. Yes, we
0: are. I'm working with two others and we have the PCR consortium of the world. And that is called hashtag testing.
1: Okay, let's go that. Well, maybe we'll start there. After I'd uh, just like you to give me your personal overview of, of how you how you got here. You you never imagined, I'm sure, yourself to be sort of this world superstar that everybody looks to you for where do we go from here? How do we get ourselves out of this jam? Where it seems like every organization in the world is against us, everybody wants an update on Freedom Airways. I'll be honest i gave I gave Freedom Airways money, and but to me it seemed like a wing and a prayer because I don't see how the FAA or the power structure of the world is going to allow that to happen. But
0: well, we have a flight uh, from Ireland to Mexico today, so we are. And we have. I'm happy to update. You know, you can get charters everywhere in the world through Freedom Travel Alliance. Uh, And we're doing a big launch, including to pay by crypto in the next few days. And um, I've been advocating for us to buy our own planes, which range from one million for a six seater plane to four million for a 30 seater. So with that is, you know, there's a lot of work going on because we're attacked by, you know, our bank accounts and by the authorities and all of us are on, you know, lists, including having some of us White House conferences on what people should do to us, you know, individually. Uh, so we have weathered that storm, and I'm happy to update on that one later on as well.
1: Okay, I'm going to put on here threats against people personally, make sure we get to that, because I personally have been canceled on Square, PayPal, Square, PayPal and Venmo all in one week, and none of them will tell us why. So finally, last week they all got letters from my attorney. But um, you know, you can only fight so many dragons at a time. And then exactly. finally, the other thing I want to go through with you that was asked by one of our um, followers in uh, in Telegram is how to protect oneself from friend, family and friends that we all have to be around who are clearly shedding something. And she said Touch she's me. drinking pine needle tea and taking vitamin C, and there's there's a lot of talk out there. It's almost the most content that most people engage on, I feel like is, well, what do we do about all these people that we have to be around? And I personally learned this the hard way by, I think it was in June, sitting by um, someone, I didn't know her well, but I sat down at the pool, the condo, we live on the beach here in in Florida, and sat down by the pool and chit-chatted with a woman who I found, you know, half an hour into the conversation was, had just gotten the J&J job and i was covered from my neck to my ankles for 3 weeks with hives after that first yeah. time that's ever happened to me so those those are the topics that i wanted to get in with you into you, to with you today but can you just start with where where are you at how are you doing um how did you get into this fight and what does it mean to you
0: yeah so very good so i suppose um as we mentioned just before we came on i was not on social media at all really and then i In my university, I also had paid money to retire in 2016 and applied to retire in 2017 at age 50. I wouldn't have had much money, um, but I had seen from my early 20s, really, or teens, I had basically understood what was going on. And so I did a career path in order to prepare myself for now. So my whole life, essentially. Um, And I won't go into it, but I grew up in a farm in Tipperary. And when I was in primary school, so around uh, seven, eight, nine pharmaceutical, Merck-Sharp and Dome moved into our little valley. And the next spring, uh, 17 of our animals got sick or were born with two heads, which had never happened before. 17 of them, sorry, miscarried. And when we and lots of other farmers that happened to were raising issues, the county council and the government and the pharmaceutical industry, and everybody said it's not connected. And then another farmer in the valley spent 10 years, basically, you know, a huge significant part of his life uh, fighting through the courts and won a precedence case in the world of a Supreme Court of a farmer winning against a pharmaceutical company. And we knew that obviously they were connected and it had to be something that was coming out of the pharmaceutical plant. Uh, and we were about two miles, we we'll say, as the crow flies. And all of the authorities, so-called, were saying, no, the water is pure. But we knew it had to be in the air. And actually, farmers from Puerto Rico came to the farmer taking the case and said that something similar had happened to Puerto Rico. And because of that, and because of other issues, he won the case. So I decided to, um, you know, that decimated um, a lot of farmers. And also it meant that the authorities like the county council and the governments and the ministers were all ignoring the adverse events associated with the pharmaceutical company. And also my father was just peripherally a minor farmer involved, but he wrote a letter to the pharmaceutical industry to say that that farmer wasn't the only one. And two members of the pharmaceutical company, when I was around 15, came to myself and my twin brother and said that if he kept quiet, they would pay for us. Uh, to do our degrees in a university. And we would have been known, myself and my twin brother, to be bright. So we know, even though we were only like 15, and of course, immediately, we all said no. And then, you know, I asked, you know, as we all did in the family said, well, why are you not investigating this, right? So we didn't go to that university, so then when I went to do my degree as well, I happened to overhear two technicians um, talking about destroying samples. And it happened to be the sample they were destroying samples in the court case uh, that I was related to, right? Which was an interesting piece of information. So then I decided even though I could have done medicine, I would do science. And then when I went on to do my PhD... I was working with antibodies and the antibodies that I were using that were sold by multiple manufacturers for the same thing were giving completely different results. And when I was raising that and looking at the papers, I was saying, but this, there's no integrity. There needs to be, you know, anything in science needs to be put into an open repository, they're called, or biobank so that the whole community can check. So this would be like now a model or a virus or a PCR test. And from the very beginning, all my career, I've been saying people need to be promoted based on how many other people validate their results independently, and that there should not be just this peer reviewed. It should be based on that people can repeat the results. So then I went to, I decided to give science one year at a time. And I'm quite entrepreneurial. So I I also, when I was on the farm, we used to drive tractors and I used to pick gherkins to, you know, we had no money. We came from very poor farming background so I used to go picking gherkins in the summertime in Germany when I was a teenager to earn money I was a waitress in America uh, all through the summers in my degree and PhD but I always knew that I could make a living as a waitress or a taxi driver or you know drive JCBs and so that I would just give science one year at a time because my idea was that it's just not good enough right. It's not good enough that a pharmaceutical industry can come into a village or a valley and ruin the livelihoods. And when that, um, you know, I said to the pharmaceutical guys that were trying to, um, you know, keep my dad from supporting the other farmer, I said, but, you know, if this is happening to the cows and the cows, what's this doing to people? And he said, oh, yeah, there will be an increase in infertility deformity um, in children in the years to come and increase in ill health right very callously okay and um, my father actually what they did is they hung up his letter to the pharmaceutical company in the canteen so that everyone you know all the local people would read it so that they would clearly you know instigate division between the farmers that were speaking out and we did know at the time that some of the farmers were keeping quiet even though they had actually issues right So that's quite similar to adverse events and vaccines. So I suppose then when I went on, I invented the technology, high content protein arrays, because I wanted to expose the antibodies are used in research, but also in diagnosis. So if the antibodies and the diagnostic tests are wrong and people are using that for cancer diagnosis, for example, or autoimmune disease, people are getting treated for something. And we do know with chemotherapy, there are huge adverse events right, associated with the treatment and operations, um, or it could be infertility as well if it's prostate cancer, right? So I just thought this isn't good enough. So in my high content protein arrays that I got was very successful in getting funding for, I also, as part of my work in Germany, uh, co-founded or co-wrote the grant to set up the Resource Center, which is like a biorepository of the German Human Genome Project, where the German government funded 10 technicians for sorry, 40 technicians for 10 years. And I made all of my clones and my arrays available, as did many of the researchers in the Max Planck, in order to push the move in science to make things public so that for my research, um, they were distributed freely in the world and people could check my research. And there was you know, hundreds of publications to show that what I published was correct. And because of that, I was also advocating for 20, 30 years, the government should be funding about 10 or 20% of the funding should go to other people to validate results, right? Now, if we had done that, it's very simple. We wouldn't be in the situation we are now. But also from when I was in my 20s, because I had, uh, when I was about 26, 27, I had about 25 people working for me. So I used to work literally 20 hours a day. I, when I was on the various grant review committees, I would be given the government agencies ways and the governments of making it more efficient so that we as scientists would report, you know, results and PhDs and publications, but not have to write endless amounts of administrative work. So I was put onto government advisory committees in Germany and in Ireland and in the EU very early on. But the reason why I was happy to be involved in government was that I knew You know, when I looked into this in my 20s, what's going out now has been planned for systematically for at least 100 years. But actually, it's been going on for literally, um, you know, 17, 18 hundred years. Right. So that I knew the only way to solve this is actually to get in to understand how governments work and either to stand for election or to learn how to speak to ministers, so how to set up regulatory authorities. And then for the last 15 or 20 years, I've been an expert in the European Union. I'm also qualified as a financial advisor, and I've been renovating properties and studying Agenda 21 through the planning and the government systems for 20 years, you know, because you have to understand what's going on, Agenda 21, the banking system um how they are manipulating the design of our communities the design of our houses and the whole undermining of the education system and freedom of speech and how the government politicians work so i you know a lot of the government advisory stuff was advisory you know or was voluntary and so really when you read what's going on what they're doing now was initially planned for the year 2050 okay so in about 30 years time they also like I was why, why reading, why did this. they why did they do it thirty years early? So, well, that's a good question. Well, I can explain that. So, when I was reading twenty, twenty five years ago in the Harvard Business Review, so I you know was interested in finance, right? Because there's a huge amount of waste of money. So when you see, I looked at the schedule for children, right? It's now seventy two injections in the first four or five years. children don't have that kind of an immune system at all, right? Really, they don't get the the, the ability to respond in the way they're saying between either age three or age seven. And there's a huge adverse events associated with it. And you have like one in two children have a chronic illness. And if you look at the things they were putting in, like mercury and aluminium, they cause autoimmune diseases, um, infertility, cognitive impairment and chronic fatigue. And we have, you know, a huge amount of that burden on children, right? Probably it's a poisoned generation. But, Why, you know, when I was a child, it was exactly uh, when you would raise these issues, right? Around, no, no, you know, because I remember maybe 20 years ago looking for the days of the infants across America when they would die because they were injected back then at week eight, you know, there was like that two month and four month. And then I was going, okay, because the deaths happen exactly now associated with the injections because some people can't detoxify from, you know, mercury is one of the most poisonous things on the planet, right? One of the top 10. It's an absolute crime to be injecting that and aluminium together and the other ingredients so that you would have a spike in death, we'll say at week eight, nine, 10. But if you compare the deaths at week six, seven, there would be less, right? So that someone like me as a researcher can prove definitively. Um, But of course, about seven years earlier, they stopped reporting the day of the age of the death of the babies. They just said under one. So I knew, okay, these guys are seven years ahead of me, you know, in forensics. So the high content protein array technology I developed was forensically in court would be and is able to distinguish the adverse events associated with which particular injection. And that's why, even though I would have had no money, I want I paid in a lot of money to retire in 2016, 2017, because I wanted to have a new, another company because the diseases that are initiated as adverse events to the vaccinations are autoimmune diseases. And in my original company, deliberately for 20, 25 years, we were studying naturally caused autoimmune diseases. So you could compare someone with multiple sclerosis, not injected with someone who got multiple cirrhosis as an adverse event of an injection. And because we have 20,000 patients in the original naturally caused, we we'll say, clinical trials that Protegen did, that are all publicly available, we could then do a study to get people, because there was a precedence case in France in uh, about eight years ago, where a gentleman got was um, annually tested for his work, He got uh, a vaccination, developed multiple sclerosis and died a few years later, but he was in his 30s, early 40s. And his family won a case to show that that multiple sclerosis was directly associated with the vaccination. So that would have all been around, you know, 10 years ago. So that was a precedence case. And what I wanted to do was to highlight the adverse events, because if you you can, you know, someone like me could make a safe um, agent that would elicit a protective immune response that you could put in the public domain. The placebo would be PBS and you could check that it was safe. You could do a proper clinical trial um, and you could see if the immune response was protective, okay? So that is, I would say, not the case now. And I myself would not take any of these uh, injections that have been going around for like 10, 15 years, right? And particularly... I decided when I got the HPV form for my daughter from the HSD in Ireland, they didn't have the patient information leaflet. And that's actually a crime. So that is a crime. OK, so if something causes more harm than good, then you have to know it. Right. You have to give full informed consent. So for 25 years, I've been studying the law as well. So I suppose, and the and the thing is, there is no indemnity. So we have now two or three generations of doctors who do not understand health and do not understand nutrition. And they are been told absolutely incorrect information as if the, there is no immune system, right? And also, you know, that they are not liable. So the information is that whoever breaches the skin and does the injection is liable in their private and personal capacity for their entire lives, for the harm that they cause. And Catherine Austin Fitz, who I'm honored to be in touch with, has done an analysis that on average an adverse event costs a family, we we'll say in America, $5 million. And that rests squarely under the law with the people who do the injections. Now, I'm very honoured and because I've been preparing for this essentially all my life last year, you know, when we had the meetings in Trafalgar Square with nurses and doctors, because there was only one or two in each country and we were involved in Trafalgar Square. We then after that set up the World Doctors' Alliance with Dr. Muhammad Adil, who was essentially fired for talking in April 2020 um, about hydroxychloroquine and prevention and treatment and with Dr. Zach Cox. But what is we have to understand it's quite tricky for doctors because many of them have earned a living from injecting children,
1: right?
0: right? And the thing is, if the law applies, which it does, it means, because in the real law, if you cause harm, loss, or injury, you're liable for all of your life, that the children that they have harmed, the families can essentially sue their indemnity insurance, right? So it's absolutely incorrect to say there's no indemnity because harm is caused by men and women they are liable and um we can talk about the next phase but we do have to have a transition so the doctors can say because they should have read the patient information leaflet and in the hpv injection in the clinical trial which we know that was under reporting one in 50 had serious severe adverse events okay and that's given to 12 year olds or teenagers and the chances of having dying from cervical cancer is about 40 years later, is about 100 in a million, right? So it's about 8,000 years of harm. And it does not show at all that the HPV is more protective. In fact, anyone who gets HPV has a higher incidence of cervical cancer. So when you look at this whole vaccination thing, but you have to look at it in the context of Agenda 21, carbon dioxide, LGBTQ, Um, the clampdown on so-called freedom of speech, the corruption and non-accountability of the politicians, the way the journalists are handling it and the way the courts are unlawfully and the police are criminally prosecuting unlawfully people exercising their inalienable rights of freedom of speech and talking about life-saving, Nobel Prize-winning treatment, okay? that essentially we uh, are, have to move into another phase, which I'm happy to kind of talk about for the first yeah. time on your show. Is yeah. That, t- you know, talk about yeah. the
1: next phase. I know that that's the one comment that you'd given my staff that you do want to talk about, which is something that I wouldn't have known that you've been digging into. Uh, oh, so much of what you've said turns light bulbs on for me for why you were so awake so quickly um, you and I share the same birth date. Basically, it sounds like we're the exact same age. And we already had had really negative experiences with the pharmaceutical industry and how they cover things up and even the vaccine, vaccine industry and how they harm people and then take their little data shenanigans and cover up um, data so that people can't ascertain the link between the harm. And, you know, the fact that you're growing up on a farm, what a blessing that you... You know, appear to be healthy. I don't know how your twin brother is doing or the rest of your family is doing, but farmers are among our sickest people in the world for the obvious reasons. So, anything you want to comment about that would be great to wrap up kind of the backstory on Dr. Kale, but also, um, yeah, do move into what you think the next phase is, because I think we're all concerned about that.
0: So, I think just that exactly we were talking about the context of where we are. So, you just need to put this COVID 19 in the context of the other undermining of the proper functioning of the law and medicine. You know that people have been censored around treatments and there has been an underreporting hugely about adverse events of vaccines and vaccine schedules and improper treatment and detoxification protocols. Um, and I've had a reasonable pushback in my career around trying to raise issues of adverse events, but I actually was trying to retire in 2016 and applied to retire in 2017. But the university did not administer my pension because I just wanted to start and look in a forensic way around the diagnosis of adverse events in order to hold people to account, right and to to associate um, a, an adverse event with an injection in order to then um, would we'll say, if the injection or vaccination was causing more harm than good, it should be taken off the market. So I think why it's important to put that context for your listeners is, Um, And part of what I'm working on is now, it's called Custodian, C-U-S-T-O-D-E-A-N. And it's around that we need to look at this in a historical perspective. Um, So uh, that um, really there has been eight so-called pandemics in 20 years. And I started forensically looking at SARS, the first severe acute respiratory syndrome in 2002 and three. And knowing that we have an immune system, right? And that coronaviruses essentially do not cause illness. They're part, if they exist, right? Okay, that people do get flu-like symptoms. What is the causative agent? So the first SARS was the initiation of the media um discussion around the fear because what people need to realize is that this is um, uh, what's been going on in the agenda is to cause fear whether it's by banking collapses you know whether it's the weather uh so-called carbon dioxide based climate change that we know is not based on any evidence intermittent by pandemics intermittent by the government not addressing issues and as if we're in chaos, right? That nothing is ever solved. So before we go on about the next so-called pandemic, we need to look back at the last eight over 20 years, whether it's SARS-CoV-2 or swine flu or all the various ones, right, including coronavirus, that we have an immune system. So for the hundreds of years before, really, there wasn't pandemics. The way we're having every second or third year now okay and we also know definitively the so-called spanish flu um 100 years ago or more 110 years ago was actually related to the injections that they used to treat okay and even fauci has published that dr fauci in a paper okay so i think why a lot of us and i'm very honored to be president of the world doctors alliance and i'm president of the world freedom alliance to try and you know address this not only from a health and medical, but from a lawful and business and looking at the bigger picture of how our nations work, is that really coronavirus 20 years ago killed on average from the WHO figures one in eight million. Okay. So on average, you have in the world now, 150,000 people die every day. So that would mean in the whole world, you know, you would be talking about in the four-month period, um, you know, very few people would have died.
1: Okay. Yeah. Whereas um, we have, we have probably have a couple hundred other causes of death that are preventable that we don't do anything about. Like, what, yeah. So why, why aren't exactly. we doing this about malaria? So. Exactly. So, like every day, so when they, so every day was 150,000,
0: every day about 50,000 people die of cardiovascular disease, 50,000 people die of cancer, 50,000 people die of everything else. And in the infectious diseases, this is now in March 2020 from the WHO CDC figures, 3,000 people died of TB, right? In March 2020. And when they declared this so called pandemic another infectious disease, uh, 50 people were dying a day from C- SARS, right? Whereas a thousand were dying from other causes of influenza. Okay. So this was in March, 2020 from their figures. Okay. And so what they've done systematically, and this is why the custodian initiative that we're working on has to hold individual people to account because under the law, every man and woman is responsible and liable for their actions and omissions, whether they are prime minister of Ireland or Prime Minister of the UK, or whether they are someone who's working in the WHO, right? That is the actual lawful situation. And if the police do not investigate, so in this case, we knew, for example, from declaring the measures, I would say unlawfully around the so-called lockdown, would actually affect severely one in 50 people again, so that for everyone, for example, if you have 350 million people in America, for one year of the lockdown, we have lost 350 million years of life on average, okay? So that's just the harm of the lockdown. So all every single death of, of SARS-CoV-2 was preventable. And it was known 20 years ago, and it's known in immunology that vitamin D is one of the things that keep people healthy. And the Dr. Zelenko protocol that was done in February and March Um, was known to be entirely effective and safe, including in the elderly. He did a study and treated 799 elderly people in New York, not one person in hospital. And the treatment was around $4 for the entire treatment.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's so so clear. Uh, One thing that hasn't been investigated is that I suspect some kind of drug reaction between remdesivir and maybe propofol or fentanyl or one of the drugs that's involved that you have to use to sedate and paralyze people to put the, the the vent down there into their lungs.
0: So I think that's the thing, right? That's the thing. We have to stop using the word pandemic, right? OK, because we now it would it's exactly like, you know, if people were dying of pneumonia and people were saying, go home for a month and then we will put things that reduce your breathing and put you on a ventilator and you die, right? So that really, that's why, even though I have been reframing it and dealing with it, we now have to move into an accountability phase, right? But first of all, we have to say there was no pandemic, okay? Because uh, Michael Levitt, who was a Nobel Prize winner, when he studied the diamond princess, the debts were the same as you would have in that group of people, 50% of them were over age 61. So, and there was another ship, the Theodore Roosevelt, who showed that the deaths were exactly the same for those age groups, okay? So therefore, we now have to reframe it and stop using their language and saying there was no pandemic. We are talking about an entirely preventable Infection, which is the flu. And if people, the really the people who had illness were vitamin D deficient, and if the media and the politicians in January and February said to people, as we can say now, get yourself measured for your vitamin D3 levels or expose yourself to sunlight naturally, eat healthy, and you do not need to be afraid. So I think we need to stop talking about another pandemic, okay? Because this is the eighth so-called pandemic in 20 years that in every single case, it was entirely misclassified, okay? And if we look at the decades in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there wasn't these issues, right? And there wasn't any so-called vaccines. And we now know that the so-called Spanish flu was actually an adverse event associated with the injections. Mm -hmm. So, that for hundreds of years, and we absolutely know that because of sanitation and better nutrition, okay? So, what we now and why we are saying they may call another pandemic, because we know they ordered the tests worldwide for COVID 19 in 2017. And the patents associated with this, and they started as well the bill in Congress in America in July 2019.
1: All right. So and, that's and why- I think it's ex- it's exciting that people are wi- a lot of people are waking up to the COVID vaccine and refusing to get it. People are even losing their jobs rather than get it. But as they wake up to that, all the Simone Golds of the world and and all these other you know, Peter McCullough just got his blue vaccine last week. And I and and I feel sad that he's still in his process of awakening because, you know, there are entire books written with Hundreds of references about how polio and smallpox, because that's always what they go to. They go, smallpox, polio, mic drop. Listen, for those of you who are listening rather than watching, you're not seeing that I'm making this arc, this parabola. Both of those diseases, and I could go on and on and on and on about the fraud that was the allegation that smallpox and polio were eliminated by a vaccine. But There's an arc to a virus, and they brought that vaccine in when the virus was here with both smallpox and polio. Lots of other things we could say about it. We'll set that one on the shelf. But please, if you truly believe that smallpox and polio were eradicated by a vaccine, you've got more research to do. That was propaganda.
0: No, exactly. And so, you know, I know your, your listeners are people that have asked you questions, right? We have to frame it this way, okay? that it's not about will there be another pandemic. We have to frame it that there hasn't been, this was the response has caused huge harm. And really, you know, like in Ireland, we had one care home where in January 20th, there was 51 elderly, they injected them. And 19 out of 21 died within 14 days, 26 out of the 51, sorry, died within five weeks, right? So if someone had gone in and done something else, that suddenly half of the people are dead, you would expect forensic investigations, right? Which is not happening. So we have to, and we know the same in all over the place where, you know, they've been put on uh, ventilators. The family have not been allowed in and there's no autopsies. And we can talk about, you know, the PCR as well, that we... um, it is criminal and it's false diagnosis to just have a so-called positive that there's some kind of DNA in the tube. But the doctors are actually liable and exposing themselves to medical negligence um, by not sequencing the PCR, because it can be positive, as we know, and probably for all kinds of reasons, right? But the doctors, it could be positive from some false positive of primers. It could be amplifying human DNA or something that I would say, is not SARS-CoV-2 now, but we'd have to look at the evidence. And if it's not SARS-CoV-2, those doctors should then be doing further checks to see if it's pneumonia. And the treatment for, um, you know, if it's COPD or pneumonia or some type of asthma are very different. And if the doctors give a false diagnosis, they and their medical insurance would be um, liable. But also, they should not be putting COVID-19 on a death cert, because in Ireland, that's five years in prison and a striking off offense if they don't sequence it. So part of what people will maybe realize more of what we I've been involved in initiating and working with others to do, like the PCR sequencing consortium is, that if it's not SARS-CoV-2 circulating now, because Ireland are saying we have a 1,000 new COVID-19 cases, so-called, right, based on PCR, but if we sequence them and they're not SARS-CoV-2, that's a false diagnosis. And the governments, we have these DNA sequencing labs all over the world, right? It doesn't cost that much money. The government should be checking that themselves because they are buying the tests, so there's a quality control. The people in the health service and the government who order them, it's financial and procurement misspending or maladministration if they're not checking, and the doctors should be checking and the people writing the debt certs,
1: right? But okay, if it's so not. Talk, so- talk about the sequencing because a lot of people are not going to know what, what you mean by sequencing. I know that that's one of your big objectives.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we applied last year. Um, so I put out a call, you know, the same for Treat- Freedom Travel Alliance saying we need a new airline. Right. And I'm working with three other co-founders and we have an airline. And the same thing last year, because if you've been studying this for 20, 25 years, right, you know, there are certain crunch points. Well, what they want to do is um, remove our freedoms and force people to take Injections, right, which will reduce their life expectancy and cause them to be quite ill, right, and have no benefit, which is, you know, these current clinical trials for so called COVID 19 are the most dangerous in history, right, ever. So, normally a clinical trial in the world we stopped with around 50 deaths. And this one we have just in about a fifth of the world, we've more than 50,000 deaths. Okay. So, how do you then um, make whole people to account, right? Because Those deaths were preventable deaths, right? So essentially every week that those numbers are racking up by thousands are preventable deaths. And there are other names for that, right? Which is crimes of malfeasance, malfeasance in public office, because the prime ministers should have stopped it. And every month that goes by, everyone in all of our nations loses on average a month of life, right? So we have the deaths racked up from the vaccine or the injection but we also have the loss of life from suicide and all the others, okay? So the thing is then, how do you make those people accountable? Because there's no point having platitudes like we've had over decades. This should never happen again. That when, for example, the CDC reported, and I think it's the most shocking thing that people are recommending these injections for pregnant women, and the CDC said that more than 80% Of pregnant women that get injected, their unborn babies that were healthy die, right? So I would say that's contributory manslaughter, if not contributory, you know, murder, right? Because it's premeditated, it's well known. And the prime ministers and the presidents of our nation have the ability to stop the clinical trials. So how you then hold these people to account is that they are perpetuating the media and the political justification of the lockdown and the emergency use authorization of the injections by just having positive PCR tests for SARS-CoV-2. But my background is in immunology, and even if the SARS-CoV-2 circulated, it it becomes endemic. They only cause infectious disease, these coronaviruses, in one winter season. In one winter season from, let's say, December 2019 to April 2020 in the world. So therefore, now a year later, SARS-CoV-2, for multiple reasons, we have an immune system. um, Everybody in the world is immune. So therefore, it could not be circulating SARS-CoV-2 to be the template to make those PCRs positive. So it could be another coronavirus, it could be the common cold, it could be some false, you know, an amplification of the components because they're cycled too high, or it could be human DNA, it could be influenza. So all of those, what they're reporting is just a band of DNA when you take a tiny fraction. So PCR is in solution, we'll say it's in a small little container, you take out one hundred of it, you run it on a gel or on a machine. And all they're saying is plus or minus, yes, there is some DNA there. So that's actually medical negligence on behalf of everyone. Because, you know, I knew this was what they were doing SARS-CoV-2 20 years ago, right? That this is how they define cases by not accurately doing the diagnostic test. So it's actually criminal on behalf of the procurement, on behalf of the Department of Health, the Prime Minister, the doctors, the pathologists, the coroners, right, to just say plus, minus, there's a piece of DNA there. The only way you can diagnose it is to look at each of the bits of the DNA and see, is it human DNA? Is it a false positive from the components of the test, the primers? Just randomly, if you overcycle it, the bits of the templates of the DNA can just randomly form add dimers, or you can have, you know, from another bit of your DNA, human DNA, that's positive. So if you were to sequence it and find out if it's human DNA or it's influenza or something else, then it would not be SARS-CoV-2, and therefore it's a crime to diagnose COVID-19, but it's also a crime. And what is the solution of this is that each of the doctors doing it are exposing themselves to an insurance, a medical negligence claim directly to the doctors and directly to the prime minister, directly to the civil servants and the people in the hospital. and you don't need to go to the courts. This is a bit like if two, you know you had a minor accident and you damaged your car, you can go directly to the doctors and part of the custodian initiative is that we want to inform people you know about this information that you can make a claim from the doctors and the hospitals and the prime minister, in their private and personal capacity, because only when you hold them liable and their pensions and their houses, will you then show that for the next so-called pandemic, the members of these so-called science committees, right, are actually liable for the false diagnosis and the false death certs. But falsifying death certs is how you cover up murder, right? So if we don't have a society where if people are murdered or killed, and they're given a false diagnosis. That's how you cover up. And if we live in a society where um nobody is investigating the diagnosis of death, and there's no autopsies, the family are not there, the police are not investigating, and no one is held to account. That's how you then perpetuate a scenario that people can be killed and no one is held to accountable, which is multiple breaches of the law. So, that's why I've been studying this for 28 years. So sequencing the PCR, and you can go to IPAC ipakknowledge.org, and it's called the NATEC, the Nucleic Acid Technology Consortium, hashtag TESCATE, and the people that are working and leading it are Dr. Jack or Dr. James lyons Weiler. Mm-hmm. and the world leader in sequencing, uh, who was formerly in Yale University, is Dr. Sin Lee. And I'm working with them as the PCR consortium coordinator. But I I think what people may find interesting is last year and this year, we put it in for ethics approval in order to sequence the PCR tests throughout America. And that took a number of months. Um, And uh, that within 24 hours for when the ethics approval was granted to sequence all PCRs for SARS-CoV-2, but for anything else that's in these tests, which is important, why it's for two reasons. is that I and all of us are preparing for the next so-called pandemic because if the WHO or Fauci or the President of America comes out and says we have a new pandemic, we now have ethics approval to say if you're calling it on the NIPA or on Marburg or on Ebola, we can sequence the first whatever cases that you're saying, and if they're not that, then there's no pandemic.
1: Okay, um, but good, the- we we need to have a plan for that because it's not I haven't seen one single legal case against doctors. And you're saying that even though the vaccine industry has made it self airtight, and by the way, it's the CDC. So it hasn't.
0: It hasn't made itself airtight, right? So this is the thing there. But just to say as well that when we got approval for the ethics that within twenty four hours the CDC and the FDA did a class one recall, of the PCR tests across America on the same day, right? Because, you know, we knew, you know why? is because from that day, well, including for the last two years, they're all liable, right? The people in the CDC, the FDA, they're liable. So I think the thing is, no one is immune. So there's a lot of false information, right, that suits them, mm-hmm. okay? So the per- why people are the person who sadly puts the injection in the arm, if that person dies, they are absolutely liable under the law for either causing the death or for contributory manslaughter. And I suppose the last thing about the law is that part of this awakening is not just an awakening in health that, you know, you and I are aware of, but actually for two or three generations, the law has not been taught properly. And that this revelation is as much a revelation about the law. Now, I, you know, my background is immunology and people would say, how can she talk about the law? But I have literally been studying the history of the law for 25 years because I had thought I would be in my 80s or 90s when this would happen and that I was preparing literally for 16 hours a day, right? All of my life is to prepare to solve this but I thought if it happened in the 2050s that I wouldn't be either around or that I wouldn't be in a position. But it's actually the rule of law is how we get out of this. And it is to say that the law is actually very straightforward, it's absolutely simple. You don't need to go to university for four years It's that you act in honor, do no harm. So I would be saying the universal law, the natural law, right? There is an absolute hierarchy of law that everybody knows about. And it is you act in honor, do no harm. But there are a number of maxims, which are the basis of law everywhere. And that every man or woman is liable by their actions and omissions for the harm, loss, and or injury they cause. But if you are in any role you either knew or you should have known it caused harm. So, for example, the chair in Ireland and around the world of these committees and all of the committee members saying, recommending, so-called, that women who are pregnant should get these injections, they are absolutely liable for the death of 80 of those unborn babies out of 100 every week, and that for their whole lives, right? So they are liable, they should, and I have written notices of liability because once you, they are liable anyway. And the crime of malfeasance, so malfeasance and malfeasance in public office as all the civil servants and the doctors, it's 10 years in prison, right? And this is a law everywhere, um, is that by their actions and or omissions, these are clinical trials. They are not stopping them People are dying and being harmed every day and the people. So part of what the custodian initiative, and we're happy to work with everyone around the world, is to say we need to do what's called a liability map, right? There are we need to do a liability map in our nations who could stop these clinical trials and the harm, death and injury. So it could be, you know, all of the members of the science committees. It could be the people who are liable for the clinical trials. It could be the manufacturers of the leaflets. But also it's the journalists who are, not, who are censoring and the companies and the presidents and prime ministers and members of parliament who've signed these acts. Because anything coercing people into a clinical trial, right, these are clinical trials, are criminal and unlawful. And we know there are Nuremberg codes, but it's actually... Contributory manslaughter because there are debts. So that is the solution. So I think while everybody has spent now and are exhausted for talking about this SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 for two years, we're now moving into a different phase. We have to understand the context of this SARS-CoV-2 COVID 19, because if in a month's time they start saying, Oh, we have this new one, right? Whether it's uh, Marburg Ebola, and last year in my speeches from July 2020 to 40,000 people all the time, I said we were setting up the World Doctors' Alliance, the World Freedom Alliance, the PCR sequencing consortium to prepare for the next pandemic, whether it's Ebola 2021 or Marburg 2022 or coronavirus, right? So the thing about people who are maybe not as aware as us is that how could we know there's going to be another one, right? And the reason why we know is that this is the eighth so-called pandemic. So what we need to do, just to finish off, to solve it for your listeners, is to reframe this to say they criminally caused death. The journalists and politicians are calling it a pandemic. It's not. They're Criminally, you know, we shouldn't we should stop using their word, words, right? So the so-called cases and COVID-19 and positive tests, they are just PCR positives, not determined whether they're COVID-19. This thing was not a pandemic, right? What it was was a pandemic of not giving proper treatment. And the pandemic is the dire consequences. And we shouldn't use lockdown because that's what you do to prisoners. It is specifically the actions of named, you know, Dr. Fauci or the recommendations of like five or ten people that have cost the lives in these, you know, the adverse events associated with the lockdown. Um, but the generational consequences of all of the cumulative actions that they've done. But the m- liability mapping that I now want to take a lead on in this custodian. Initiative with other people is to map out in all of our nations the roles, but the individual men and women, because then when the next pandemic comes, that every adverse event on average costs a family $5 million. So they, and you know, I come from a place of loving and kindness, you know, in general. But the thing is, we have to hold these people to account to not have another multiple years, because in their plan, the uh, removal, so-called, which the, of our freedoms is planned to go on for decades and there is no getting out of it. And we need to talk clearly about it now before we have less opportunity, perhaps, if there's issues with the Internet um, or with other fear-causing waves that might come around banking collapses or around food shortages or, or another so-called pandemic.
1: How do we follow you with this Custodian project? I want to make sure and put it in show notes and then go share it too yeah, in my channel. perfect.
0: So we're just uh, working on it now. There is a website there, Custodian, C U S T O D E A N. dot com.
1: So just like Custodian, but with an E,
0: seven I, right? Yeah, okay. yeah D exactly, Dean as in education. Yeah, Custodian. dot com, and in a way, it's that we are custodians of our health heritage and our future. But, um, you know, lots of people more eloquent than I have have stated that if we don't fight for our freedoms now, what is it going to be like for our grandchildren, right? So in a way, as well, we do still live in a beautiful world. And if people just turned off the TV and looked around, while we, you know, did not, the deaths everywhere in 2020 were the same as every other year. And if there were deaths it was related often to how they were treated, including medazolam and the treatment of the elderly without getting oxygen, water and food in the care homes. But now we have this wave of um, adverse events related to the clinical trials and the injection. Um, and there may be more, you know, sadly, illness and, and shorter life expectancy for those in the clinical trials. But really, they are overinflating the number of people who've got the injection. And probably there are at least half of our uh, nations, the men and women, are not injected, especially the younger people. Um, And so we should not contribute to the fear really now, even of the adverse events and the toxicity, because whatever it is for all of us, you're right, there is transmission. I myself have been in company with people and, and all of everyone is saying it and you feel unwell, you get fever that goes on for a number of days or weeks it may be whatever has been transmitted will affect us but it won't it you know it may on average reduce our life expectancy it may make us more ill but people are not dying so even for half of the population that are not injected this is really a revelation to understand that what is going on now is absolutely criminal unlawful absolutely preventable and we have to now I would say stop engaging so much in the narrative around COVID-19, park it. We've all had it, you know, know as much as we know and focus your energies on how can I build up my family, my own health. Um, And if there's a coffee shop that is freedom loving, not discriminating, support them. If you want to start up a business network with people around the world, we need doctors and nurses and physiotherapists and hairdressers and accountants. Who literally do not discriminate we need detectives to forensically look at this we need police we is you know to gather together and actually investigate and if we say there's 24 people in each nation that if there are retired police detectives can actually provide the evidence we have over 180,000 people in the World Doctors Alliance we have a lot of uh, information and evidence that are backed up no matter what happens to the internet and that You know, we do know the way to solve this is for people to write affidavits to take individual cases. But sadly, the solicitors and barristers and their court processes is maritime. You know, if you look into the type of law that they are, I would say, falsely or incorrectly exercising in the buildings we call courts, they are maritime law, Talmudic law, canon law, when really it should be the rule of law, innocent until proven guilty. So we do have to reframe the courts, but partly to solve that, I am suggesting to people, you don't have to wait for me, is that you can make a claim directly at your doctor or you, you know, for their medical indemnity insurance or against the doctor themselves or against the coroner or the uh, pathologist. Now, what we can't have is a thousand emails coming back to me. What I need to do is for people to listen to what I'm saying and then to take on their own initiative as if you were going to make a claim against someone who damaged your car. You would write a claim assessment and you would say, my loved one, you diagnosed with COVID-19. Did you give them vitamin D? Did you give them hydroxychloroquine? Did you give them, you can ask for the, as the loved one, the next of kin. And if they didn't, you can say, you know, and you can ask for the PCR test, And you can send that to the PCR sequencing consortium for it to be analyzed. Or if you have been diagnosed so-called COVID positive and you can't go to university or you're going to spend two weeks at home, you can ask for the DNA uh, solution yourself. It's your property to send it to the PCR sequencing consortium. And if it's not SARS-CoV-2, you can then take a case. Okay, ask for your DNA to send to the... To the hashtag test gate. So it's IPAC, I-P-A-K, knowledge.org. Say it's that again. Institute. So dot eorg IPAC knowledge. It's called the Institute of Pure and Applied uh, Knowledge.org. And that's of uh, Dr. Jack Lyons-Viler. And on that is the N-A-A-T-E-C page, NATEC. And that is the details of the PCR sequencing consortium. Um, So, but I think what people need to do is like, if there's the other initiative we need to do is to say, we need to get the isolation of SARS-CoV-2 if it exists, right? Because another maxim in law is that fraud unravels all, right? So if no one in the world has SARS-CoV-2 isolated, or if it's not circulating now, the people who should be checking that out are the prime ministers, these scientific communities, you know, the institutes, right? Like the Robert Koch Institute and like all of your fabulous uh, WHO and CDC and FDA. But of course, if they haven't isolated SARS-CoV-2, then they are all liable for fraud because we pay them. And if they stand up and say there's a pandemic for SARS-CoV-2, then they need to isolate it. And if you go back to what I was saying 30 years ago, right, that whoever makes the claim in science, right, they have to provide the evidence. And if they don't, it's misrepresentation and fraud under the law. And fraud unravels all, right? That means that, but they are liable. And of course, fraud is a criminal and a prisonable of an offense. And it's not just the role. So the individual people that are making false claims. But that is also means if you're in Africa, if you're in South Africa, if you're in Australia, if you're listening to this in Colombia, Brazil, in America, in Canada, in Ireland, in England, that in each nation, if the prime minister and the science advisors take these draconian measures that cause huge loss of life by the you know n- infringing on people's inalienable rights of freedom and freedom of education and travel and assembly and to work, then those individual people are liable for not checking that SARS-CoV-2 doesn't exist. And that's why we need to really look for that now, because if there is another so-called pandemic, we need to, like we have in a lot of the organizations, the World Doctors Alliance, the World Freedom Alliance, there's Doctors for COVID Ethics, American Frontline Doctors. Uh, I'm also very happy to support the World Council for Health, right? But in a way, I think we need now to have an initiative to call them out and say, you guys, show us this SARS-CoV-2 if it exists, and we'll send it to 10, 12 lads. If you don't do it, that is the end. You know, this is the end of the whole COVID-19, and you guys uh, will be liable for false declarations, misrepresentation,
1: and fraud. Well, you know... This being the biggest fraud, the most comprehensive fraud in the history of the world, most likely, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing. If we can get it to the point where we actually have the the attention of the public, and of course, as we know, the media is keeping all of these lawsuits and all of the fraud out of the media. Uh, For instance, here in Florida, I think you'll find this interesting. So I watch what Governor DeSantis does very closely because we literally fled our socialist state, And made a complete strategic relocation to Florida. I was watching how in January he demanded all of the thresholds for for a positive PCR test from all the labs in Florida. Well, he got it, never never heard from him what the results were. But now Florida is the only state in the United States that has a threshold limit. I know for a fact ICUs that have 40 as their threshold. Still, even after Governor DeSantis got involved, I think he's one guy sticking his finger in as many dikes as possible, but there's going to be a lot of finger pointing because these doctors who are committing absolute fraud day after day after day are pointing to the CDC because, you know, for instance, they, they've they been told they don't have to actually do a CDC, they don't have to do a PCR test to call something COVID. Uh, a, a good friend of mine is a, is a radio talk show host, her name is Kate Daly, very well-known talk show host in Utah. And she, her husband was was hospitalized with COVID, whatever COVID is, in a hospital in Southern Utah at the same time that my husband and I were sick. We were sick for the first two weeks in uh, Utah. And we think it's because we were on an airplane all day long eating crappy food because we didn't have any other food. And, you know, half the businesses in the restaurants are now closed down. So you have a lot less access to food. So you're kind of stuck with whatever you can get. And we were, so we were just sitting with jabbed people all day long, every day, which is not our usual, Right. So we came home, we got COVID, we were sick for two weeks, and she, my friend Kate Daly, was in the hospital with her husband who had pneumonia. And they immediately diagnosed him with COVID pneumonia, even though they did no testing on him whatsoever. She's looking at his scans and she's like, take a look at other scans of pneumonia. What's the difference between pneumonia and COVID pneumonia? They didn't want to answer her question. They wanted to immediately vent him and immediately put it on rendesivir, but she was educated and she refused both. I, I have this list of seven things that because Kate was texting me every day, her update of what was going on in the hospital with her husband who had some comorbidities, he's overweight, he's diabetic or pre-diabetic. So she was telling me what was going on. So I, I wrote up six, seven things and I did a, a podcast episode, which has really gone viral about the seven things that I would refuse or insist on if I were hospitalized. Because I think that they're killing people with remdesivir. There's absolutely no argument to be made for remdesivir being useful in treatment of COVID at all. And so she um, she, she knew better, but now my my sort of, not that I'm giving advice because I'm not a doctor and I'm not giving medical And I'm not advice. a doctor. But yeah, medical doctor. Right. Yeah. But, but now I've changed because I went and talked to my respiratory therapist friend. I hadn't even gotten through the seven. He started laughing as I started into telling him what the third thing was that I would insist on. And he said, "We would laugh you out of there. We wouldn't give you a bed." And I said, "Would you not give me a bed because you get thirty nine thousand dollars for venting somebody?" And he started laughing again. And he said, "No, we get one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So you would be you would be taking up a bed, and you wouldn't be you wouldn't you wouldn't really be much of a revenue generator for us because you'd be refusing remdesivir and you'd be refusing the vent categorically in writing with your power of attorney, medical power of attorney, you know, loved one." And so now my My, what I would do is get me the bed, (laughs) get me occupying the bed if, if for some reason I end up in a hospital, right? Like, I don't can't really imagine what I would allow. I'd probably rather die at home, honestly, at this point. Uh, with what I've been hearing from my friends on the inside of ICUs and ERs, whose hands are tied and cannot give good medicine because it's all so codified now and it's all coming from above, and they've been threatened on so many counts, including do not give ivermectin unless you want to lose your job, really. And so, um, now, now, you know, if I were to be in the hospital, I wouldn't pull out those seven things until I had secured my actual bed, because it's going to be a lot harder for them to kick me out once I'm, you know, got tubes attached to me or whatever. So, so there, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing up and down and down because now of course they're pushing liability to the business owner and the business owner is so scared because of the threats coming from above, but we've got to have the people who are being damaged and whose rights are being taken away, the rights to make choices about their own body, have got to start pushing back. You know what I have not heard? I hear a lot of lawsuits are going out there against government entities. Where are the lawsuits against the doctors and the business owners? That has to start happening. Do you agree? Yeah,
0: now can I just, when did that, what month and year did that hospitalization
1: happen? That you're talking uh, about? So with your first half of August, John and I were sick. We were at home. This year,
0: 2021?
1: This year, this year.
0: And that so the thing the- is, yeah. So the thing is, right? We have to stop calling it COVID, okay? Because I say COVID, and I never say Panda, no, no. But that's what I'm saying is, right? You have to know this is a psychological game, okay? So we now have to be aware that we have to say it could not be SARS-CoV-2, right? Unless it's PCR positive, okay? So Send what it, it is, yeah? No, we have to, you know, we need to tell people because this will never end. Part of their thing is for everybody to keep perpetuating that, you know, something, right? Okay, so people ask me, when will it end? It will only end when people stop wearing masks and call it like it is, okay? So after the end of April 2020, even though, you know, a lot of the doctors don't understand, but because we have an immune system, everybody in the whole world, as I said in May, right, that everyone is immune. And if you look at the CDC graphs, there is nobody going in for influenza like illness in May 2020 all that summer, right? Because we are immune. If this yep. thing, SARS CoV 2, is an infectious agent. So that means if you had influenza like illness or breathing issues, it was not, it was a false diagnosis unless it's PCR positive. So we have to simply stop saying that their terminology and challenge it, right? So it means that if you were diagnosed or your friends, you can now ask for the PCR test, or if you have been required in America or wherever to be tested, that you insist that everybody listening, whether you're 21 in university, I would never take one of their tests, right? But if you do, you say, I'm going to take two tests and one I'm going to send to you and one I'm going to send to the PCR sequencing consortium, right? Now, I don't know the cost. That's a non-profit. I think I don't know the cost of flying it there and the cost of doing it. It's, I don't know if it's 50 or 100. We're not making any money out of it.
1: But if so you don't get sars the PCR con- sequencing consortiums. So you had to put all these links in the... Yeah, so it's
0: IPAC knowledge, ipacknowledge.org. Okay. And okay. then when you go on, it's N-A-A-T-E-C. There's a link, Natec, the nucleic acid, uh, amplification Technology Consortium and it's hashtag testing, and that's so what do the you link. send in? Do you send in your PCR test? So you can go and get now you can look it up, but you can go and get either yourself go to your own uh, medical doctor and ask for a PCR test to be done, right? Or you can say to your employer, I'm going to have two, but one I'm going to send directly to the labs for sequencing because it's your DNA and you can request a test are you are you concerned about the sticking this the, the swab absolutely. up in your listen i wouldn't do these at all ever right absolutely okay? okay but on the other hand people you can do it you know you can do the test yourself you can spit on it you can put it in your mouth i wouldn't spit. go near this test right now okay. of course if i wanted to i could make my areas and diagnostics i could make uh, a test that would probably definitively show that it doesn't exist right but i'm not making any money out of this right Uh, And I'm retired now, obviously, you know, since September, because they instigated proceedings of gross misconduct when I was speaking out on a bank holiday, St. Patrick's Day, right? And I had applied to retire for three or four years. So they administered my retirement while trying to take uh, proceedings of gross misconduct because I'm speaking out about this
1: issue. Okay. You've lost some other titles. You've lost some other titles too, haven't you?
0: Yeah, the, I mean, in the European Union, behind the scenes from January 2020, they were immediately going for an mRNA injection. And in those meetings, January, February, March, I was saying there's no need for an mRNA injection, because not one of the mRNA injections were ever licensed because of the adverse events in the animal studies and in the children in the babies, not just immediately after, but when the so-called infectious agents circulated again. So, Okay, but so the thing just to finish off the PCR test is that people can contact the IPAC consortium, get the information, how do you do the sequencing? It is ethics approval, and then they will get the sequence done, and then they will get the sequence by email. So whether it's SARS-CoV-2 or is it a false uh, positive just from the contents of the injection, or is it pneumonia, or is it human DNA? But the reason why that is significant is that if the employer is saying a positive test, you can't access education, you can't fly, you can't uh, work for two weeks, you can then sue the employer, right? Because the test is faulty, the manufacturer
1: okay. of the test, the employer and the doctor. So the consortium is to demand your test that you were required to get, send it to the consortium. The course, the consortium can sequence it and tell you if this was actually a false negative. And then you can go back to whoever took rights away from you based on it being a, a positive test, which we know that, that despite Desantis's actions, and in some cases our legislature's actions in Florida, we know that there are lots of people losing their jobs, even though there's a $5,000 per person uh, penalty by the health departments. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know if the pressure on them is so intense from above, but there has to be corresponding pressure from the actual employees. And I hate to say it, but the employees tend not to have ever been involved before in some kind of concerted effort that takes personal risk, that pushes back on authority. Like That's generally why they're employees. We need employees. I'm a business owner. I'm really grateful for employees. I'm grateful that they follow instructions to a point. But now we have a problem of that we're not getting the pushback that we need and we are going You guys, once we are under vaccine passports and we can't leave our house unless we can and get, we can't get groceries is the case now in many countries without showing uh, 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 whatever those things are that get you into a grocery store. What are you going to sit in your house for the rest of your life and try to hire a a nice vaccinated person to go get groceries for you until what, until they start, you know, The thing is that
0: really this is the revelation, right? Not only about our health, that things like oxygen are important. Who knew that good food is important, that vitamin D, which is free from sunshine, is really important. And that we should not have things like fluoride in the water. We should not be injecting anybody with mercury, aluminium, any of these toxins, right? And I suppose what this is, is that people really get the life that they put work into. And if you want to live in fear and not take charge of your life, you will end up being essentially a prisoner in your own home, being coerced and bullied, right? And the thing is, most people may not, you know, for themselves may not feel that they have the wherewithal to do it. But we have to think that if you have a, a young child or a grandmother, a lot of times people will do more for other people. And that we need to push back now while we still can, because when you've studied this agenda that goes on until the end of this century, so Agenda 21 is to 2099, right, the 21st century, the end of 80 years, that they have a plan for where this goes, and it's not good, okay? It's difficult to find now. So that what people have to do, the way to get out of this is to learn very simply that no one can take away your freedoms. You have them. And that includes freedom of travel, freedom of speech, privacy, bodily integrity, right? And ownership of private property. These are fundamental. So no one, only we, no one can take them away, right? So basically, I haven't been locked down ever, right? Because no one can take away my freedom. And what this revelation is, is for people to realize you are free. And if somebody says you can't enter a shop like they do to me, or you can't go on a plane unless you have whatever, I go, no, no, that is a criminal offense. You are discriminating. But it's not like the employer. It's not like a random. It is, they go, no, no, I'm following orders, right? And you go, no, no, you are the person. If you are discriminating, you wouldn't have asked 20 years ago, are you HIV positive? You can only and um, go in and eat if you are HIV negative, right? That's obviously health discrimination, private information. And so you just say, no, you as a business owner, sadly, I don't want to be confrontational, but if you're a restaurant owner, you're discriminating. That is criminal and unlawful behavior, the same as everyone who votes for it, the same as the prime ministers and the presidents. But what we now have is that the police are not investigating criminal and unlawful behavior And they are criminalizing people who are providing, uh, you know, medicine that's safe and effective Nobel Prize winning and licensed. Okay, so that's why we now have to call it out. Stop talking about pandemics and COVID-19, which is there's no evidence for. Right. And then educate people to say, no, you have to say you cannot coerce me into a clinical trial as an employer. That is absolutely unethical, immoral, illegal, but most importantly, unlawful. And there are ways of doing it, say, conditionally, accept, which I wouldn't do. But oh, you are liable for the five million in adverse events or hold the employer to say you have absolutely no right to force me into a clinical trial. And of course, we know that airplane pilots, for example, there, you know, have been injected and there are huge issues now as we. Last year, I was able to say in May 2020, all of these mRNA trials for so-called coronaviruses over decades, not one of them were injected, but the adverse events included microclotting, immunopathology, heart attack, and also subsequently in the months and years to come, rapid sepsis, multiple organ failure and death, right? Now, we are in the middle of that now. We don't know if whatever is transmitted will cause a similar effect. We don't have evidence. My guess is it won't be as severe. And last year I said to cut to the chase after 25 years of doing this, very simply, that I would never get these. I would not recommend it for my family. If you gave me $10 million, I wouldn't take it and I would go to prison first, right? And I said that it was like if someone injected me, I would sue them for contributory manslaughter or attempted murder. Okay. So that We now, I was able to say that in May, June 2020, before any of these so called injections were even uh, devised, right? 18 months later, we are having people dropping dead within minutes, hours, weeks from the injection. And there is a lifelong, for the people who get any of these injections, I would say there are potentially issues with them. We don't know, we may find how to detox, then we, we don't really know. At this stage, we have don't to do know. technical trials. Okay. But just to finish off, I think people should maybe, um, you know, maybe provide some credence for people like us who have uh, been, you know, preparing for this and studying this. Especially what I'm saying now is, it is learning about the rule of law and people who are listening to this to actually just say no and to not wear a mask, do not take any of their tests, and if you lose your job, it is better go and work for someone else, find an employer, or prepare your life, don't take any more tests, don't take the injection, say it's psychologically stressful, say I'm not enrolling in the clinical trial, prepare yourself for a few months, get another job, or else try and be part of the freedom ecosystem And build up a network in your local community and re engage with your family and your friends to prepare for maybe not having as much money in the next year or two, but really for pushing back now. Everyone should be committing maybe one or two hours a week to either pushing back or to support community building. So find a cafe, find a restaurant, plant flowers, invite your neighbors in, start a choir, um, write a song, you know, do something. You know, if you're you don't have to be debating about the law or about, you know, inalienable rights or whatever, but do something because what they want is to atomize society. All of their steps is around psychologically not allowing people speak, not allowing them meet and not allowing people go to funerals or to weddings, not allowing people to travel and coercing them. And once you realize that this is the eighth of these things, there's another they have a plan every few years for this. It's not going away that you can then take a deep breath and go, okay, I now maybe see this is not about health, it's not about COVID-19, it is about the rule of law. And the the solution is to hold these people to account. So I'm talking about the civil servants, the administrators in the hospital, and sadly, the doctors. I do think we need a walk away movement, the doctors who are now realizing that they were not given the information Um, That they need to maybe say, I'm not going to inject anymore unless people have full informed consent um, and to try and be the builders of the new health system or else we need an entirely new health regulatory body that doctors must give full and informed consent and give options and then let the patient make a decision.
1: I'm I'm deep in um reviewing the sequel to the fall of the cabal series. I mean, I think a lot of us watched it 20 months ago and it was part of our awakening, and it's done by a woman in um Holland, Janet yeah. Janet something, and um and it's she, on episode
0: 18,
1: I think. Yeah, and so now there's a sequel, and I think she has just released maybe the last one, but I'm in the middle of the 18 or 19 new videos. I would absolutely recommend it. It will, there, there were some episodes that I had to turn my eyes away. I couldn't watch the, she warns you about it. Um, showing like secret hidden cameras on a meeting of Planned Parenthood executives, bartering for how much the customer is willing to pay for boarded fetal parts. It's the role of the UN, how much uh, chaos and horror and 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 murder and um, uh, just they're monsters. The UN is uh, that we think of as the peacekeepers of the world. There's so so much there. but the thing that hit me the hardest in my review of that so far that has everything to do with what you've said is I don't know that all of us need to like have a podcast and be going out there on social media. I think it's so impressive that you were not on social media. And here you are a sought after speaker because you're one of the one in I I consider a one in 10,000 kind of person who's willing to take personal risk. And you've had that little little sitting with yourself and realizing I would rather go to prison or I would rather die than participate in this. It's I understand what it is well enough to know that it's a big no for me. It's an absolute no for me. But I think that there's a lot of things that we can do. And one of them is. Um, You know, I just organized this organization called United Healthcare Workers for Choice. And we had a bunch of people sign up and we set up a telegram for all 50 states. It was a ton of work. And what people are mostly interested in is getting themselves an exemption. Well, all that does is dodge a bullet for the guy behind you to take it and it puts you on a list. And it may buy you some time, and I don't blame someone for getting an exemption, but what we really need is for the notice of liability that we emailed every single person who signed up for that organization to send that notice of liability to their employer, to be willing to stand up to their employer and say, if you're going to demand that I compromise my health and I inject myself with something that you can't even tell me what's in it, then I demand that you, you answer these 13 questions. It does not... Refuse to get the injection. It does not
0: um, exactly. take
1: a threatening tone. It just says, "I would like more information about this product that you're requiring that I get." Now we know it's three injections for the next four years. Canadians have been told four injections, four injections through at least 2024, maybe 2025. And I think, in addition to the the ideas that Dolores has given you, start Thursday Freedom Group so that when things get bad, exactly. you know who stands with you. Um, be, be a part of things. Find a way to be a part of things. Uh, for sure, grow a garden. For sure, find a way to be more uh, self-sufficient. But decide, draw a line in the sand. Like, where are you willing to uh, refuse yeah, to participate?
0: I say exactly. As well, You know, don't wear masks. Even if, like, I haven't worn a mask through this thing. And also, you're right, I don't. I may have used exemptions in the beginning when I hadn't thought of. No, I mean, just verbally said I'm exempt. You know, the first few months. But I never wore a mask never filled in any of their forms, never take any injections. And I've successfully, we'll say out of 150 flights or so, about five, I either was not allowed on or I was taken off or the police, you know, they tried to put a mask on me on the flight and then called the police at the other end, you know, but I never wore a mask, right? But I used to say initially um, I was exempt, but now I say I have inalienable rights because uh, exemption means that you, you know, you may have a health issue, right? So I would have had asthma and autoimmune disease, probably as an adverse event of the injections I had to take when I was working, you know. But that means that a healthy person can take an exemption. So probably for more than a year now, I say I have inalienable rights of privacy and bodily integrity, because we just have to push back, you know. And sometimes I've been surrounded by police. And, you know, when you're in the airports, I always leave it that even if I don't get through, you can get a flight back. You know, they only you're only in the jurisdiction of Germany or whatever when you go through passport control. And I've had multiple situations where I have 10 or 15 police around me because I'm not wearing a mask. I don't have a vaccine. And they're saying you're not allowed into Denmark or Sweden or sorry, Germany or wherever it is. But of course, I then say to the individual police, okay. Which one of you is taking liability for my loss of flight and my loss of time? And since when is it that I, as an Irish national and passport owner, do not have freedom of travel to fly to uh, Denmark or Germany, right? Because then I say that's a precedence case, which it is. But that would be me. And I would say to the police, which one of you are going to sign it? Because you are liable, as well as for my ticket. And if I'm going to a meeting, which might be, you know, so generally I say to them, you sign here, but I'm entering into a contract and, and your my charge will be 4,000 euros, $4,000 an hour. For every hour it takes me to write to you and to do the case and you are liable, right? In your private capacity, there's no following orders. And of course, in every case in that situation, even though there's 10, 15 people, no one will sign, right? But just to finish off as well on your notes of liability, we need to educate people because I was writing them to the coroners in May 2020. But after the notice of liability, you give them two weeks notice, you know, 14 days to respond or 28 days. You then need to follow up with a notice of remedy and then a notice of default if they don't respond, like the prime minister or the coroner. And then after that, you write an affidavit, which would be, we'll say your truth. Uh, I, You would say... Robin, I understand the injections may cause me more harm than good. I do not consent to take it. You get that notarized. In America, it costs about $20. You write it to the employer or the prime minister or whoever, the doctor, and an affidavit unrebutted in another 14 days stands in truth. But if, for example, it says that I've sequenced my PCR, it doesn't contain SARS-CoV-2, right? This is the end of the process. They are then liable, but for criminal behavior. And that is in the I've been involved in writing a lot of notices including in the World Freedom Alliance we had like 30,000 were sent out and you know I have um been engaged in a lot of activity against me in the last few months which has um been I've had to focus on that in order for me to still be free but now that I'm coming to the end of that um that then we need to get people to write affidavits and then put these individual people into courts of law. And in our law, you can actually hold courts of law lawfully in Ireland, in the UK yourself, under like common law courts, right? Our high court is called the high court common law. And that you can have a meeting and have a jury of 12 of your peers and give that person so many days notice to appear and let them provide their evidence. but And then they can be judged And people are innocent until proven guilty. That's how you know in the proper courts. And what's going on in the United Kingdom and Ireland and around the world is there are no juries. And the judges, I have advocated voluntarily for people where you say to the judge, what is your name? Are you acting under oath today? And they won't answer. And the same for all of the police across the, uh, you know, all over. They won't answer. And. Somebody, a judge or someone dressed up as a police, it's actually a crime of up to 20 years in prison for them to dress up and misrepresent themselves. It's actually malfeasance and malfeasance of public office. And I think we need to move on from notices. And then so I would the idea behind custodian is to just educate people because I'm just one person. I can't do it all. But for people to actually follow it up, that you can go and challenge one person dressed up as a judge. That is not a saying to people, you're innocent until proven guilty. And people have inalienable rights and freedoms of freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. So if they're trying to find people or charge people with criminal offenses who are essentially exercising their inalienable rights of freedom of assembly, meeting, and freedom of speech, we need to turn it onto the judge. And the people dressed up as police are actually perjuring themselves, which is a crime of seven years, right? So I'm not saying that everybody listening to this has to actually do that. I would be happy to do that, right? But we need for people to start using the right terminology. The judge is breaking the law in trying to find people that are exercising their constitutional rights in America for freedom of speech. But the Constitution and the Second Amendment actually comes from higher in the hierarchy of law an inalienable right, which can never be taken away. It doesn't come from being written down. And that is that we have free speech everywhere in the world and we have inalienable rights of freedom of assembly. And for them, they have been trying to summon me and have issued warrants for me for exercising the right of freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. And so in the next week or two and in the next months ahead, I now have standing because whoever... I never talked to, on the event that is reported in the newspaper, any member of the police. I never gave my address. So that whole thing may have been built on somebody perjuring themselves, but also it gives me standing to ask the Prime Minister in the United Kingdom, have they isolated SARS-CoV-2? You know, where is the crime? And also, I have inalienable rights of travel and freedom of speech uh, in Ireland and across the United Kingdom because we have this longstanding standing freedom of travel between the four nations, uh, Ireland, England, Scotland, and Wales. So I think we now have to stop really the dance around COVID-19, the narrative, and then really hold it up. And only a few of us need do it, but we are asking for support. So on custodian and custodian.com, people can become members, but it's more about the custodian community educating each other because I'm just one person. But I would be very happy to take an initiative to ask the world to support me, to ask the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, because they've issued a warrant for my arrest, so called, that I've never seen, uh, based on SARS-CoV-2 being an infectious agent uh, and causing death. And I think we need to call them out and we need to uh, sequence some of the PCR tests across the United Kingdom. Uh, to support me, really, it's maybe a precedence case for me uh, against Boris Johnson and the United Kingdom court system.
1: I think we do need to support you. And I think it's uh, great to know what the next step beyond notice of liability is. I have gotten very, very few people to send the notice of liability. I think it's just the mindset of people who've been following rules their whole lives and being in america where we thought we had rule of law and suddenly that gets turned on its head i don't think people are there yet to do the pushing back and we need to kind of encourage them to do that but then to be able to charge these entities who are robbing us of our rights i believe that that is this is kind of inspiring me what this is why we can't get an answer from paypal Venmo and Square which has devastated my business that's the way we have to receive revenue it's not just a convenience for me to send money personally digitally it's how 18 people are employed we have to receive revenue and i believe that they're literally denying me um their services due to violation of my first amendment rights so i think i'll go there next i kind of have nothing to lose at this point so that was really useful the last question i'm so grateful for your time but So that my audience gets their questions asked. I would love for them to be happy with um, the fact that I asked the questions that I promised I would. Will you give us an update on Freedom Airlines? I told you that I had, I I thought it was very exciting and very ambitious, but I had my doubts about whether the power structure of the world was going to crush it. You say it's taking its first flight. Tell us us about it.
0: Yeah. So thank you very much. And thank you for your support. So the webpage now is freedomtravelalliance.com
1: freedomtravelalliance.com. Well, and make sure FTA. all of these are in the show notes because everybody should go subscribe, donate, do what you can. Look, I, I'm getting more and more clear because I'm six figures deep in my own personal contribution to this cause. And I'm going to escalate that, but I'm being really careful about where I get, put my money. If I have to really believe in the person and the cause, but it's time to put our money where our mouth is because there's going to come a time if we don't change things, when we're all going to spend all of our time just keeping a roof over our head and getting two or three meals a day.
0: No, you're exactly right. And that's why I say as well, go the extra half mile or mile to buy a cup of coffee to support your neighbor who's not discriminating or freedom loving. Or if there isn't one, then make coffee yourself and invite your friends in. Or, you know, grow vegetables and give them out free, you know, to help each other. So really, in a way, the same as what accountant, what hairdresser, You know, if it's little things like what farm or where does your food come from, that if you're going to spend, if you don't have that much money or you have time, we need to make choices. But partly, you know, last year as well. So I put out a call to set up a new airline and the co-founders are Susan Sweeten, uh, Tara Torrenton and Kevin Jenkins. And the three of them about a year and a half ago had set up uh, Urban Global Health, which is an initiative around uh, promoting health in the world and also to uh, really provide uh, services to people when after there are catastrophes as well. So Kevin jenkins freedom
1: it's freedomalliancenetwork.com.
0: No, it's freedomtravelalliance.com. Freedomtravelalliance.com. So we really got together at the end of last year and we're all individually have been freedom fighting and would have, you know, networked with each other and Tara Thornton and Kevin Jenkins have been and um, Susan Sweet and all involved and would be very well connected With the lawyers, with the freedom fighters for you know 10, 20 years, um, as I would be in my community. So we came together to set up Freedom Travel Alliance, but within an hour of Biden being elected, our PayPal for the whole company was shut down. And the Proton Mail for the whole company, Proton Mail was also shut down, right? And so all of us have been, you know, and the business and web pages, web
1: hosting. So that's been a huge learning Your web part. host took you down because I've been watching all this stuff very clearly. So I need to know this kind of stuff because I watched when Simone Gold and the America's Frontline Doctors, L- July, 2020, stood on the steps of the Supreme Court and got 20 million views in a matter of hours. They they had Squarespace removing their website. So I'm keeping an eye on that because I assume that's the next wave is destroying our websites. Your, yeah, your, exactly. Your so the thing is,
0: yeah in my so the web hosting took us down but also what we've done and i've done privately now i'm not going to mention the company until when i launch custodian to make sure that it survives right so everything we are doing uh we have to test the market but also we had one of the biggest airlines in the world contact us within a few weeks of starting that they were going to offer us their flights but then they contacted us a few weeks after that again to say that if they were had anything to do
1: with us that they themselves as a big company would be targeted, right? So we also- That's that's good to know they're at least communicating with you because I want to know what they have to say about why they are committing these acts against us. So so. I suppose
0: just for your listeners as well, Freedom Travel Alliance about six weeks ago to members has done worldwide um, collaborations with charter companies all over the world so that members can book through Freedom Travel Alliance to book a seat on a flight anywhere. Right, so if you want to go from Timbuktu to, to uh, you know São Paulo, or from Toronto to Tanzania or wherever, you can you know go on as a member and ask for that flight, and you will be given how much it costs. So, like about two months ago now, we had one member fly from Ghana to Florida, and that cost him six thousand one way. So Freedom Travel Alliance is like a broker for that, okay?
1: So it's expensive. So it's basically taking a big alliance of people who believe in freedom and own planes and getting the seats sold when they go someplace? So that's what
0: we're, I mean, initially, that's not what we want. We want to bring and make it more affordable, okay? But initially, what we have to do is just keep the world moving. But we've been learning. So what we have is thousands of pilots and pilots unions around the world supporting us And they have a call as well, so that they, we're building really the future of non discrimination and non coercion in travel. So, our aim is to buy our own planes, right? In order that we can make travel affordable, okay? But what we have to do is to, so we had a flight to go from Denmark to Ireland for a meeting I was hosting in March, and we paid, you know, 30,000 for a return flight for eight people. And the government, even though we had done everything right, that flight was essentially not allowed take off. even though we were allowed, they changed things within 24 hours, okay? So just this because- This is my
1: concern. This is my concern. No,
0: no, but we've learned, okay? So that's not, you see, this is all a learning, okay? So now what we've been doing from the very beginning is we have like between eight and 11 people that we're paying on a part-time basis to help the members that all along we have been helping members fly on commercial flights everywhere in the world to try and give them the knowledge and the information or saying which airline will allow you to travel without a mask with various exemptions, right, in the art of the possible. But we've also learned that there are other ways of traveling, including by cargo on ferries, and that's why we've changed the name Freedom Travel Alliance, okay? Because, you know, within Europe, there are multiple ways of going. And also, if uh, companies have charter flights, um, they can have an empty leg that is cheaper for going back, right? So there's all various ways. But what we've just launched is, as well, that Freedom Travel lines within the next week or so, is uh, crypto payments, right? That people can pay by crypto, because essentially... You know, people like me have been speaking out, even though I have money in my accounts, my bank cards don't work. I can't top up my phone. My internet doesn't work, you know, right? So that the current banking system, that's why when I talked initially about we have to see it in the context, the politicians, the media, the banking system, education system, health, the rule of law, policing, um, and the whole Agenda 21, right? The whole thing is connected, that they can... It's like whack-a-mole, right? If there are a small number of people speaking up in every country, it's very easy for them to to have, you know, as I have been informed that the police in multiple countries are surveilling me particularly and that Google has a special or whatever, you know, I don't know if it's particularly that one, but that they are then interacting with me. And, of course, I have death threats, you know, and I have, you know, like if I try and travel, we'll say... It is challenging, just even if I'm driving a car, you never know who's going to try and, you know, drive you off the road on multiple occasions, as well as practical death threats, as well as, uh, you know, threats from people that are associated with the running of countries that should be protecting me,
1: right? Yeah. And so we need more moles. I mean, they're playing whack-a-mole and we need more moles. And we're not asking for you guys to volunteer because we think you're going to get driven off the road. It's just that she's one of so few taking such brave actions. And I I mean, I truly believe you're a one in 10,000 kind of person. No, but I think
0: what's good about Freedom Travel Alliance, so I appreciate that. But what we're trying to do is we're putting ourselves out there to find the solutions, right? So partly is that we are launching a new wave that was COVIDCon, which was a conference last week, and we increased our membership by one third, just by two people retweeting, right? You know that. Um, And we gained, I think, an extra 10,000 subscribers to have more than 50,000 subscribers. Um, But what's important is that we now, that was very positive for us, that we have Learn there are ways if you understand the rule of law that you can actually get travel documentation, which we're working on, but also you can travel through private planes, through cargo. But what we need now is for people to either buy tickets with cryptocurrency and Freedom Travel Alliance so that we can't be taken down by their fiat currency. Um, and I'm advocating that we need to ask people for contributions through the membership to buy planes outright because you know one plane six seater there are very efficient planes that could do maybe four flights a day within Europe or if we owned a plane the busiest one of the busiest routes in the world was between London and Dublin or we could do London Belfast which is in the United Kingdom or have flights you know between California or Nevada or across America so if we owned planes we can then have now uh, networks with pilots and the different ways of traveling that we could actually fly planes and and lawfully meet their regulations so
1: yeah I, I think some time I think Jeff Berwick, Jeff Berwick would want to work with you um of crypto no, is that crypto vigilante yeah crypto vigilante dollar vigilante I know that he was talking about similar things wanting people to come together who can co-purchase a f- like planes and things like that. I don't know if you know that Justin Trudeau announced, I want to say a week ago, that not only can you not get on an airplane, not only can you not get on an airplane without being vaccinated as of November 1st, but there's a fine for anybody at any airport, no matter how small, how rural, two-seater, whatever, there's a fine for allowing an unvaccinated person on a plane.
0: No, so the thing is, right? So what I say to people is we have to stop repeating it, right? Just because someone says something. So no, we have to get around it. it. We have to no, get around no, no. it. No, no, because the thing is, it's a bit like when I travel all the time with no passenger locator, no vaccine, no mask, right? And then I'm surrounded by police and I go, what you are doing, you, right? Everyone is liable in their private capacity, Mr. Head of Airport." that what you are doing is criminal, unlawful and multiple crimes up to 10, 20 years in prison, including Justin Trudeau. So the mantra is say no. Right. And just because he says it, if it's criminal and unlawful. So if he said you have to shoot every second person getting on a plane, right. And make an announcement that's criminal, still criminal, unlawful. Then we just have to call it out and go. Justin Trudeau is saying something that is breaching the law, is discriminating and against inalienable rights of travel, of movement, of earning a living, of privacy, and that is malfeasance and malfeasance in public office. And if the solicitors and barristers and lawyers are not putting an injunction against him, why aren't they number one? And if you understand the law, an individual Canadian who has been affected by that has standing and they can do a writ uh, to the high court in Canada under the rule of law, which is the same in all of the 57 Commonwealth countries and injunct him and sue him for the cost of the missed flight, plus the loss of income and get all of the Canadians to go behind them. So that's what I'm saying, language matters. So we have to not instigate fear anymore, right? Say no, no, that's criminal and unlawful, and he is liable in his private and personal capacity, and it's malfeasance, and that's up yeah. to 10 years in prison.
1: So I completely agree with you, and I want to make sure everybody knows that when I say that, I'm not saying, well, Justin Trudeau said it, therefore we have to follow it. No, 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 no. I'm saying it as in we have to we do have to know what, what their strategies are. And like I think it's important, but make sure everyone under- hearing this knows that I'm not saying that as in. Well, now justin trudeau has has shut it down. And just so you know, Dolores, whatever's going on with um, putting together these organizations and these strategies so that we can all travel so that we can we can all exercise these inalienable life uh, rights, like you say. Just so you know, I was kicked off almost a year ago now, kicked off Delta for life after being a platinum medallion and flying one point two million miles with them. Um, in a state that I do not live in that was the, the stopover on the way to see my children in the state that they live in, 2,700 miles away. And so, um, and and not only that, but the hundreds of thousands of miles that I had accumulated, they wouldn't let me use for any reason, including flying my children to see me. So, yeah. I'm No, but Robin, why I'm saying it is, right, is that we,
0: and I don't mean to be, I'm not criticizing you, but I'm saying is that don't repeat it even once what he said. We, You need to say it to me and your listeners. Did you guys hear that President Trousseau is committing a crime of malfeasance and malfeasance in public office, which is liable for 10 years in prison, at least if not treason, and that he is liable for everybody by coercion on a clinical trial, which itself is criminal and unlawful and is a breach of the Nuremberg Code, and that he also is engaging in criminally and unlawfully uh, accosting and infringing on people's inalienable rights of freedom of travel, freedom to earn a living and freedom to assembly. That's what I mean, is you don't even say it one more time. We stop calling COVID-19. We stop saying, when is there another pandemic? We say there was no pandemic. There was a treatment. If these guys think they are going to corruptly organize another and call it a pandemic, they are going to be guilty of the crime of malfeasance, whether they are director of the WHO or whether it's the president of the United States. And we are not going to have another PCR test that is means that doctors are committing medical negligence and coroners are guilty of crimes of five years in prison by falsifying death certs. That's what I mean. We don't use their words anymore. And, and so I don't mean to. I know you are a freedom fighter, but I'm just saying We have to reframe it because if we're only 1% of the nation, I think we're probably 50%. If we reframe everything they do, because the journalists contributing to suffering harm and death by not allowing doctors and scientists to give health information, that is a crime against humanity, right? And that is contributory manslaughter. And people and if people are getting the injection, which is a liability of five million dollars cost per family, according to Catherine Austin Fitz, then individual journalists, if a, a lady was pregnant and she got the injection and her unborn child died and she realized that her local newspaper, the journalist knew or should have known that she can then sue the journalist and the editor of that newspaper for not giving her the health information and her baby would be alive. That's what I mean about reframing. And that's what the custodian initiative is about, is actually calling. We have now, in a way, all of us have dedicated the last two years of our lives to prevent people getting injected. We're in a different phase now. And we have to stop using it the way they did because we did it in order so that people who are not aware or so-called awake would listen to us a lot of them, sadly, now have got injected. So we now have to reframe it. And what I'm saying is if people will follow me on the Custodian Initiative and World Doctors' Alliance, World Freedom Alliance, Freedom Travel Alliance, you, they do not need to take the cases. What we're seeing is barristers, solicitors, lawyers, police and judges and politicians are not upholding the law. But someone like me, I actually know the law now and I've given just, you know, talks to 50, 60 lawyers across the world who've said what I'm saying is correct, but they've never heard anyone, even in the law, saying it. I am now in a position because they have issued a warrant and summons for me for giving health information, exercising my freedom of speech last year in England. And the custodian initiative is looking for membership and support uh, in order to give me the wherewithal to challenge. And I will be asking, has the prime minister identified SARS-CoV-2? And is the PCR test actually identifying SARS-CoV-2? If it's not, they are, you know, liable for multiple issues, including fraud and misrepresentation. But if they are damaging and have damaged my reputation by issuing a warrant for my arrest as if I'm a criminal and infringing on my right to communicate and travel around the world, then they are liable in their personal and private capacities. And through the custodian.com and custodian initiative, I want to now reframe it to say to them, was it criminal when uh, there are prevention and treatments? There's no SARS-CoV-2. And I have inalienable rights of freedom
1: of travel and freedom of speech. Yeah, I've I've been writing down notes because I, I, I have never actually said the word pandemic, like hundreds of episodes. And I started, I completely shifted the focus of this show first of april 2020 to just be part of trying to wake people up the only reason i said the word pandemic which i have literally never said before i'm sorry is, is because it was in the notes because you want to talk about the next pandemic and now i know why is that like stop giving it energy but I've, sorry, written down, I've written down i've written down words am I like talking to your sisters more than you oh you know? totally no, no no and i'm i don't i don't feel defensive but i'm just telling you like you're absolutely right and i'm going and i like wrote down so that it like can roll right off my tongue because I may be in another airport. If I, you know, I want to go see my children over the holidays. And now we have 40% of TSA is unvaccinated and they have a deadline of November 30th. If you, if you want to get on an airplane, it's going to be a mess, but I want to see my children. And so things like malfeasance of public office, like stuff like that has to be able to roll off my tongue for you to know, be able to stand up to it. But I I was literally taking notes because I'm like, okay maybe i will cuz everybody said sue delta sue delta and it's like you know what is involved in suing delta but if i can figure out a way to file a claim that doesn't involve hiring a lawyer the lawyers are very hard to come by now they all 90% of them work for these big firms who all gave money to all these government entities and they will run a conflict of interest and they'll refuse to take you but i i'm like wrote down okay so i could sue them for the loss of the flight the lost income the lost miles and so I'm 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 realizing that I may have actually an obligation to all the other people out there to take legal action, not just for myself. Maybe and so, I can just write it all exactly, off. Exactly,
0: exactly. And you know, the thing is with custodian initiative, I have some very loyal volunteers, you know, a handful really. So what 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 I need to communicate as well is that it's not that I'm going to solve it all, but that we're exactly like inspiring others. But I think part of the thing is is that it's actually law, not legal, okay? That when you hear legal, the lawyers and solicitors and barristers, there are multiple areas of law. And in the courts, they are finding people under the legal system. And really it is not the rule of law, which is the natural law, right? The hierarchy of law, where these inalienable rights sit. So part of the notices of liability, remedy and uh, default and the affidavits you do them yourself. There can be three sentences. I'm putting you on notice. I have had a loss because you did not uh, uphold my contract, which was a ticket, and you were infringing on my rights, asking private health information, discriminating against me, right? That's, where does, and you where do does someone
1: get a template or instructions
0: for that? So the thing is, the other thing, you know, the first of all, the word Freedom Alliance has a lot of notices of liability, okay? But Part of the learning is that people have to know the law themselves, right? And what you have to think is everybody's case is different. And literally the answer is there are plenty templates for not taking an injection. There's um, Alfonso Falgioli has an excellent site on the World Freedom Alliance uh, site. We have notices, Lawyers for Liberty in the UK, right? They're all over Telegram. But in a specific, same as if you're a parent and you don't want your child to get injected, but we have to learn. You have to follow it up, right? So in your case, you have to say, what was the harm? You lost the ticket. You know, you didn't fly. You missed the wedding. And the notices of liability may be for you that that cost you 2000 Plus, you didn't get an interview. You didn't have a week's earnings. That's 5000 And you make that claim. You write to them two weeks later. You write to default. You do an affidavit. I had a loss of a certain amount of income. Plus, I missed a wedding. Um, and that's your affidavit of truth. And if they don't respond, then you can make a claim for them for $5,000. And really, you can do it yourself. So part of the revelation is to understand that if someone unlawfully now, not illegally, that's the difference, cause you harm, loss or injury, they are liable in their private and personal capacity. So when you're going to the airport, and this is what we tell members and freedom travel Alliance, I always bring a recording device. And when I'm dealing with someone at the check-in, I say, my name is Loris Cahill, what's your name? I am recording it. And they go, no, you can't record me. And you say, yes, depending on what country you're in. But in Ireland, as long as one person knows uh, you are recording, then that's okay. But I would say to them- In the US, it depends by state, by the way. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Everyone needs to check it out. But the thing is, you're recording them because you're saying, that. say if the person is Mary- Mary, if you do not honor my contract of the ticket, uh, then you are liable. But of course, you have to look at the contract. And that's why members of freedomtravelalliance.com, that we look at various states. So some airlines were respecting inalienable rights more than others and some states. So what I would say, like, for example, Denmark is open within Europe. Hungary is completely open. You know that Austria has won like many court cases. Portugal has won cases so that you can then. Say if I, we would pragmatically say, you know, you could land in Budapest and then drive, right, for two or three hours or whatever it is, if other countries are not respecting your inalienable rights. So partly what Freedom Travel Alliance has been doing for their members is to pragmatically give them information, but the information
1: changes on a day by day or week per week basis you know there's there's a lot there's a lot to learn and i haven't been studying the law for 30 years like you have and so i think probably most of those listening feel a little bit overwhelmed by that so you know a, a pointer of where to get started is uh would would be well, so so, next so one place of the to things go. Is,
0: you know when i cut to the chase last year and said i studied immunology for 25 years but uh, this is what i'm saying right and it was I would not get injected. I wouldn't recommend it for a member of my family. If you paid me $10 million, I wouldn't take it and I would go yep. to prison first and I would sue yep. someone for attempted murder. Yep. Right. So yep. that was a way of saying you don't have to study books like I've done for 25 years. I am telling you that I would not take it and I wouldn't, I'm not a medical doctor. I would not recommend it. So what I'm doing, the same thing for the law, right. Because we need to literally empower ourselves. People need to um, stand in their power, even if it's not to just protect themselves but to protect their loved ones. okay? So the really the short version is of the law is act in honor, do no harm. Every man and woman that causes, you know infringes on your freedom of travel, freedom of speech, privacy, bodily integrity, health information are liable by their actions and omissions in their private and personal capacity for as long as they live. And if they are doing something, infringing on your bodily integrity, coercing you is a crime of up to four years in prison, right? All of these things, coercion in a clinical trial is absolutely uh, criminal. I don't know, it's like unheard of, probably 10, 20 years. Members of the police and the courts misrepresenting the law, And coercing you to wear a mask is up to 10 or 20 years in prison. That is the one minute version of the law. We are free. We have freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, bodily integrity, privacy, freedom of travel. Anyone infringing on those rights are engaging in criminal and unlawful behavior of coercion and of misrepresentation of malfeasance. And that's up to 10, 20 years in prison. That is all you have to know. So to exert your rights, you just say, No, I am not wearing a mask. You don't have to say an exemption. And if they ask, you say, because I have an inalienable right of bodily integrity. And if you try and force something on my body, that is a crime of coercion or malfeasance and discrimination. And you are guilty of a crime. And by the way, I'm recording it. And I will hold you liable. And don't tell me it's because you're an employee of some airline. Everyone, every man or woman, is liable for their actions and their omissions in their private and personal capacity. And you then ask them for your number and you say, I am going to sue you because I am you are you know infringing on my rights. And you say, you don't need to go to court, right? That you can write to them as I have done and hold them liable. And you ask them, do they have an insurance policy? Do they own a home? Do they have a pension? Because you can then say, if you insist, you are now entering into a contract, $4,000 an hour. And that for every hour that I use, I will catalogue it to write the letters for you, and I will charge you uh, at four thousand an hour. And that's it. You literally the law, because what it is is it's justice, right? So why you act in honor is we do not infringe on other people's rights. You know, you do not touch people, you don't coerce them. If you're a doctor, you cannot give them medical treatment without full informed consent. You cannot enrol people under a trial in a clinical trial without giving them all the information. Um, But if somebody harms you, then they are liable and you act in honor because you do not willingly cause someone harm. And if someone says, by you coercing me to wear a mask, I think it's going to cause me harm. I don't consent to it. No. Uh, And we, of course, would say, oh, I apologize. I did not mean it. Right. But if these people continue to do it, they are actively causing you harm. So that is it. People do not need to be afraid and they control us by free fear and i was talking to ole damagard who's a you know a, a very philosophical person as well as someone who's been shining a light on these conspiracies for 40 years and he did a good analogy last night he said that really all they have is fear right but truth is the opposite of fear but the thing is when truth is there it's like shining a light truth doesn't actually you know mix with fear to to modify that truth actually shines a light and dissipates the fear the only control mechanism they have is fear and people like me when you understand it that they can just but if you're not afraid to die literally and you if you have fear you overcome it and you're not afraid really because if we don't stand up what have they've done in the last year or two what is it going to be like in 20 years but the truth actually dissipates the fear and the truth resonates so i often get shivers when I hear people, right, because people know and what they're afraid of and the real awareness and awakening and revelation is if people realize they are free, no one can take away your rights. Um, And once you just say, no, I have an inalienable right to bodily integrity and if you try and coerce me or force me, you are engaged in criminal behavior and I'm not going to allow you to do it. It's like bullying in my job for me or my grandmother or my child. And that's really all you need to say. And once you understand it, it's
1: quite straightforward and empowering. Thank you so much for that. It's a beautiful note to end on. I'm going to go back. I don't know if those of you who are seeing this by video, I don't know if you could tell I was furiously writing notes. And I'm going to go back to what you said was like the 60 second version of what needs to be able to roll off our lips if we're going to stand up to this. And if we don't stand up to it, I think we're all getting really clear on what the future is for us if we continue to bow our heads and submit to tyranny. So I'm going to go back and write that up unless you already have it somewhere written up, but we we all have to... Yeah. Okay. Then I'm going to, when when this is edited, I'm going to ask Trevor, who, by the way, just so all of you know, my podcast editor has had, see me making finger quotes, covid Uh, his wife was hospitalized. Luckily um, he had just edited my seven things and knew that remdesivir is deadly. And so his wife was managed to, um, I'm sure had to push back hard not to get remdesivir or the vent. She's being released from the hospital. Both of them are doing better. Um, When my, my respiratory therapist friend here in Florida said, I don't think I could say this too many times guys, that when a doctor says, when you're in the ER or the ICU, we're going to send him upstairs he knows that nobody comes back down nobody comes back down alive and of and course
0: she was she had in respiratory symptoms that were falsely and inaccurately diagnosed as covid-19
1: and right, she well, now
0: has standing you know to the hospital to challenge it
1: right and 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 the point is the point is that when you go upstairs 100% of everyone gets remdesivir plus propofol and fentanyl and all the others to get vented that's why that's why they don't come down except in a body And bag, you know, so. that's
0: contributory manslaughter, I would say, if not murder, right? So it's not that people are going upstairs. It's that the doctor is not giving a preventative treatment that's and right. is causing those people to die, which actually yeah. should be reported to the police. And it should be mm-hmm. uh, that the treatment caused the death when there were other treatments available. So I think that's, we need to, I know, you know, I'm not harping on about it, but that is that we need to say that that doctor was potentially contributed to the death of that person. And therefore, they should be. And people should start reporting the doctors, the pathologists, you know, who do, who do not do the autopsies and the coroners as
1: contributing and falsely and inaccurately reporting on the death sex. Right. Right. I mean, you, you have to wonder why 100 percent of those who go upstairs for that treatment um, come back dead. Whereas the the survival rate of COVID worldwide is 99.98% now, according to John Ionitis. Well, well, the Stanford. survival
0: rate is 100%, right? That's the right. thing. It, and the thing is SARS-CoV-2 is not circulating now. So it's not co- there's no survival rate now for COVID-19 caused by SARS-CoV-2 because it's not circulating now. So that's what I'm matter. saying. We need to, you know it's not circulating now. Let's, if, if they, if it is, let's produce some, but that, you know, Trevor and his wife, if you wanted to could now ask the hospital for their PCR. And if they don't do it, they can say, uh, they can get another one to say, okay, I want to do now what's the manufacturer. I will do it myself. And maybe she shouldn't have been in ICU at all. And the loss of her health And the adverse events of that treatment, she now has standing because we just need one or two brave people to start taking the hospitals and the individual doctors, uh, making them liable and making claims of five million or or whatever it is off their medical insurance. Because currently the doctors, you know, they're making huge money from actually not giving people proper treatment. So once it becomes all we need is one precedence case and then all of the backlog, all of the backlog can sue the doctors. And you know, we love doctors, right? But -hmm. of course, if they stopped interacting and just said, either take a break and not engage in it, right? Say, I cannot, this is, I am not going to go to hospital and give people treatment that allow them to to kill them. That is not what they did medicine for. And even though they're getting lots of money, uh, literally that is contributing to death, that if the doctors pull back, so we do unfortunately have to make the doctors financially feel that what they are doing is wrong and then they will change their practice because a lot of the doctors have already resigned over the last few years. So the ones that are in the system are getting huge amounts of money, but they're actually, there are people dying that shouldn't die and that needs to
1: stop. Yeah. I mean, I I know ER doctors who are ferociously committed to the narrative, and that's because they see that everybody goes upstairs, dies, and it has not yet occurred to them that before, when we vented people, my respiratory therapist said, friend said, I've vented people for 20 years for various reasons, and they didn't die. So there's some it's it's remdesivir as far as I can tell, and so um, I believe that the reason there are so many medical professionals who are hypnotized by what's going on, plenty of them are awake, but the ones who aren't, it's because they have not yet been willing to look at the fact that. They die because of the treatment, not because COVID is so deadly. They believe COVID is so deadly because of they haven't figured out about all the deaths from Remdesivir. Exactly. Not like no, not like, Fauci's exactly, gonna him, not like is gonna tell them, not like CDC is gonna tell them, not like mainstream media is gonna tell them, not like the hospital administrator is gonna tell them. That's all that's all you know, suppressed information. So
0: no, you're exactly right. That's it in a nutshell, Ram. And I think that's why we have to now hold them to account. Uh, to make them change their behavior so that people don't die and that they
1: live. Well, what you have done has been absolutely miraculous. I, um, I feel inspired every time I see you and all the freedom fighters, you might feel like sometimes you preach to the choir. I feel like I preach to the choir, but I also feel like preaching to the choir is important because the choir needs a shot in the arm because we, we, so that we don't get demoralized because What what I got from follow the cabal, I was going to mention that the the thing that really struck me watching like seven episodes yesterday and all my free time, I listen, if I'm in the sauna, I listen, if I'm driving, I'm I'm listening to content that all of you send me. And I appreciate it is that, that their, their method right now, what they're doing is they're demoralizing us. And the number one characteristic of human beings that they have to suppress for their plans to be successful is, is to end self-motivation. And that it said that it was, it was self-initiative, self-initiative. And I'm one of the most self, like I'm a very self-initiative kind of girl, have been my whole <laughs> life, was born that way, ambitious, yeah. always have plans, always taking on big projects, organizing people. I started the story club when I was five years old and we met every Friday and I was always so mad because I was the only one who showed up with a 10 page story to read to everyone. And, <laughs> and everybody was always happy to show up and listen to Rob and read a story but it's kind of it's kind of like what's happened my whole entire life and i realized the hit that my own self initiative has taken and it made me so mad watching that follow the cabal i think it's i think it's part 4 where they read the actual words of the cabal yeah. that are published and they talk about what they are doing to the people of the world right now and they said that the most dangerous character trait of people is self initiative and so we have to demoralize them and we have to stop the self initiative so just in case you need a shot in the arm, Dolores, I know like every time I do an interview, like I give it my best and my my yeah. my demoralization happens off camera, right? Uh, yeah. Your yeah. your self-initiative is everything. You are you're a game changer. You're a you were put here at this time for you were you were put here by God for a time such as this. I'm convinced of it. And so thank you so much for everything that thank you're doing. You. Please, anything that you think that I could be a part of. I'm, I'm recommitted, I'm re-energized, and I want to be part of this, um, making sure that we are not kept out of being able to cross borders and travel. It's,
0: yeah, well, thank you for your support, Robin, for Freedom Travel Alliance. And
1: there is a launching, it was lo- like we
0: do have a launch, there be a new webpage literally within the next week, and we oh, are looking for people to... Like for members, we can offer them access to flights and information, but I want us to also get money to buy our own planes because then we are in control Mm -hmm. Uh, and we can just do shuttle flights because it's the other thing, though, is, you know, in my big vision is that it's the cheapest time to buy airports, right? And I've been renovating property for 20 years because Agenda 21 is about um, undermining rural communities and not the banks are not lending to renovate property. And I would say to people, if you're listening, you know, plant flowers and get an agreement in the little villages and on your street to paint for exactly the issue around demoralization. So why I am with you 100% is I try to give, you know, love and hope and support and encouragement to people and also to get them to um, take the initiative themselves, even if it's only in a small way or build up communities like choirs or planting, um, you know, flowers or just inviting people into your house for coffee so you're not isolated. But I do think um, that Freedom Travel Alliance and the uh, NATEC, this TESCATE consortium, and the World Freedom Alliance, the World Doctors' Alliance, and now with Custodian, all we need is about 1% of the population is all that really won in the civil wars and in any resistance, right? And I'd say we really have about 40 or 50% so they are they are probably at their peak of trying to be most fearful and cause most harm but what custodian initiative and i'm looking at the governance structure because essentially what we need to do is build nations we cannot fix this health system food and law in their world we actually need a, um, a custodian institute to look at how the world is run it's actually much easier people just need food they need Uh, To be kept healthy, and they need the rule of law and free free speech, and we need to ensure the integrity in the voting system, and to to learn that money uh, is can be gold and silver, or it can be the wealth, or the initiative and the energy and the intelligence and the resources in our nations. And I've been working on this for 20, 30 years, but we do need to just give people the confidence that if you can. you know, work in your old communities and build up networks, we can actually turn this around. It may take us a few years, but we are literally overturning thousands of years of deception and lies. And my little phrase is enough is enough now. And I have never been more hopeful in all of the time that I'm alive, that we, you know, it might take us five, 10, 20 years, a generation, but in the next generation, Uh, of children that will not be vaccinated and will be healthy and will not be lied to in the education system. And the same for the medical students and the lawyers. There will be a wave of entrepreneurship and health and healthy food. And I think the spiritual dimension and the love and and the hope that will be in the decades to come uh, will be overwhelming. And I hope we're alive to
1: see it. I love it. I'm glad to hear that you're taking uh, cryptocurrencies on uh, Freedom Travel Alliance. That's the second business I started in 2021 uh, to help people learn, especially beginners and boomers, start learning about cryptocurrency, start learning about Bitcoin. It's the way to get your savings. You've worked your whole life. You've been a responsible citizen. Your money is in jeopardy. Your dollars are in jeopardy. Your fiat currencies are in jeopardy. So uh, I'll also put in the show notes my free webinar. It's Two hours absolutely worth your life so that you know what's going on in our economy and how you can protect yourself and maybe even capitalize on the leveling of the dollar that is is on its way. So, Dr. Dolores Cahill, I'm so, I'm so grateful that you gave us the time today. I've been hoping to get you on the show for many months and it's just been an absolute delight. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Delight for me as well. Thank you, Robin, for interviewing me. Take care. Bye-bye. And to all your listeners. Thank you. Bye.